Welcome to episode 12 of the Photography Experiment podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by Studio Ninja. It's the CRM or Studio Management Software for photographers by photographers. I'll share more about Studio Ninja later in the show. This is the Photo Experiment Podcast. Brought to you by PhotoBiz X. Today's guest is writer, blogger, and photographer CJ Chilvers. I interviewed CJ for episode 119 of the Photo Biz Exposed podcast right after reading his book, A Lesser Photographer Escaping the Gear Trap to Focus on What Matters. Since then, CJ has started blogging daily, and I look forward to his email notifications above all others in regard to photography every single week. I'm wrapped to have him here with me today. CJ, welcome. Wow, thanks. That What an intro. I <laughs> wasn't expecting that. <laughs> but it's true, your blog posts, and you know, I get a, a weekly reminder to say, hey, I've posted again every day this week. I look forward to them more than any other photography-related emails because you get me thinking every day. I love that. What's driven you to start blogging daily? Really, it was a couple of times that Seth Godin came out and just kind of berated every online writer, you know, why aren't you doing this daily? You know, and it never occurred to me because I'd always listened to the so-called experts who say that, uh, you know, everybody from Google to, you know, all the newsletter experts, they're all saying you got to do just one long essay a week, maybe two and, you know, that's the best for engagement. That's what's going to drive everybody to your site and all this kind of stuff. And it was just, it's its kind of nonsense. The more I think about it, the more bad advice that is. And, but it took Seth Godin just saying it on a couple of different podcasts, just saying, you know, this doesn't make any sense. You got to blog daily for your own mental health, let alone your readers. I mean, it just helps you notice everything that's going on in your day that may pertain to your interests or your business. You know, it's really, he considers it, you know, he's on the Mount Rushmore of, you know, writers and marketers, and he considers it one of his top five things he's ever done in his career. Wow. Okay. So why listen to Seth? I mean, I, <laughs> I can guess why, but why listen to Seth over Google? I mean, because aren't they the ones that are going to be showing your content to potential readers? Right. But, and that's the thing, are they? I mean, you get ultimately to choose your audience, not Google. How? How do you do that? How do you do that? <laughs> well, it's easy. Like I, I don't spend any time on Facebook, hardly. Uh, a little bit more now than I used to, but Hardly ever. I spend a lot of time interacting with people on Twitter because I can interact with journalists and you know people I really admire where I can't really do that on Facebook that much. So that's where I hang out. So I have built now an audience that values that, you know, as opposed to an audience that really values Facebook engagement, even though all the experts say Facebook is, you know, the stickiest place. You got to be there first. You know, I just haven't listened to that. So I've built an audience that doesn't necessarily hang out as much on Facebook as a normal photography site would, you know. Even more important than the Seth Godin thing, this the mantra of Sally Hogshead, who came out with the book Fascinate. And it just came out, I think, this year with the second edition of that. Her mantra is, different is better than better. And you know, if I can tattoo something across my forehead to remember it the rest of my life, that would be it. Because that describes everything. It's not just for marketing. It's for writing. It's for anything creative. Any creative problem. Say it again. What did she say? 
different is better than better. So, you know, don't try to be better than everybody else at their game. Be different, <laughs> you know, establish your own game. And of course, she was famous for her work with Jägermeister and companies like this who, who came to the U.S. from Germany with a lot of problems. You know, they were a company where nobody liked the taste of Jägermeister and they were trying to break into the U.S. market. And her message is embrace that. I mean, embrace your difference. So, you know, they did campaigns across college campuses that was about, it was just pictures of people tasting Jägermeister for the first time and just the looks on their face. <laughs> and you know, they were gagging. And then for the college kids, they ate that up. You know, they wanted something extreme and out there and different. So within year a couple of years it became the drink on all college campuses <laughs> which i'm not sure it's a i great love it thing, but uh, it illustrates the point. you know if everybody's out there doing what the experts are saying you need to do for engagement we do the opposite <laughs> you know couldn't i argue then that seth godin is the expert and you're following what he's saying now well, well, there's only one Seth Godin. <laughs> you know, and I think somebody else brought this up. If you type into Google G-O-D, like Seth Godin comes up before God. Okay? <laughs> right, so, so there's never going to be another one like him. And I can't really be because I don't have the time in the day to do what he does. He writes five posts every day and chooses one, throws the other four away. You know, I don't have the time for that. I don't have the career that he's had. You know, I try to put out a post by 1 p.m. starting writing on my lunch break around noon. So, <laughs> so, so it's really a stream of consciousness. I want to go into, into how you actually get to do what you do and the things that you've found since blogging daily. But why photography for you? You know, why is that your go-to subject? It's just because I've been doing it for so long, for 25 years. But it's not, you know, I'm trying to branch out more and more, but I want to take my audience with me because I, I want to tell them that, you know, nobody's just a photographer anymore. You know, you may love to read about just photography or, you know, in my case, I like to write about photography a lot, but none of us are just photographers anymore. In fact, all of us are publishers now. So whether it's comfortable or uncomfortable for you, you have to familiarize yourself with the language of publishers, with the business of publishing, if you want to make money at this, or if you just want to establish an audience, you got to know of how the publishers approach this, you know, that's what we are now. When you say publisher, do you mean, are you talking about printed books or are you talking about just getting stuff out there and getting it read and seen? Right. And publishing is everything now, isn't it? I mean, it's everywhere. It can be in paper, it can be pixels, it can be anything. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we need to approach our work like publishers. Oh, absolutely. Because I knew this back in the days when digital was first hitting, you know, the consumer market, I knew something, I, I could foresee this. I knew that, okay, this is the ultimate democratization. You know, the great images are not scarce anymore. You know, that was the beginning of the end. And I knew that in the future, the technical proficiency wouldn't be scarce anymore. It's kind of scarce still right now, but it's starting to be where technology is really catching up. And within a couple of years, I think you can focus and post in a couple of years, you know. So technical proficiency is not the thing anymore. And I could see it coming. I was like, well, what's going to be scarce? Well, what's going to be scarce now and 50 years and 100 years from now is what's always been scarce and always been valuable to human beings. And that's storytelling. It's just kind of hard to make a living at that. <laughs> so the way I approach it is I'm an amateur. Of, I'm very proud to be an amateur uh, photographer. I'm not an amateur storyteller. I do make my living 
at that, but that's what's going to be valuable. So you got to find a creative way to do that. And it works across every business. You know, if you're a good storyteller, you can be a great salesman. You can be a great anything. So this is what we need to concentrate on. When you say storyteller, do you mean writer or do you mean a storyteller through images or a combination? Well, you see, it's a different definition for everyone. And I've gotten into a lot of debates about this. A lot of people say that you can't be a storyteller through just images. You need a combination of images and text and maybe video and a couple of other things. I think, you know, just like you choose your audience, you can choose your medium. So whatever way works best for you to tell, you know, a story that's different you know, why not just go for it? Just keep getting better at your thing. And there's enough people in the world, certainly enough people in the world now on the internet that you're never going to be for a lack of audience. There'll always be more to come in than are leaving. Sure. See, it's funny to hear you throw around the term storyteller because that's something that, and I don't know how closely you follow other photographers, but certainly in the wedding industry, that is a term that's being thrown around ad nauseum you know for the last couple of years i'm a storyteller with my photography yeah oh i know i know it's a terrible cliche i totally understand that but like my wife got a uh, a fellowship for storytelling like she in the academic sense she is a real storyteller you know all i do is i combine images with text and they tell a story and that is simple as can be but i guess you can get even to a, a more pure form would be like a filmmaker i mean yeah but you know everybody Everybody tells a story. It's just who is connected with and how well. Where do you do your storytelling? Because, you know, I read your blog, but I see no photos. It's all text. (laughs) You know, there's occasional photos I'm throwing in there now. I took down most of my photos online when I put out the Lesser Photographer book because I knew that the first thing people were going to do, and this did happen, and this, you know, in one journalist from the Daily Beast in particular, the first thing they did was look at the photos and say, okay, well, should I listen to this guy? You know, is he a good enough photographer for me to listen to? And if you read the book, you know that it doesn't matter. The things I'm arguing in the book are based on logic and reason. They have nothing to do <laughs> with a, like a subjective photograph. Is it good or not? But still, I knew that was going to happen, and it did happen. And I took as many offline as I could, and I'm starting to put them back now. But still, I find that that's not what the readers care about you know it's like my blog is not about me necessarily it's for what the reader likes you know for sure you mentioned choosing your own audience you're not doing what google tells you to do you know you ignore facebook but i know in one of your recent posts you asked readers where we're spending our time you know i think the list was facebook instagram others and then twitter right (laughs) so is that going to change what you're doing probably not because, you know, I'm not creating anything for those platforms. Like, I think it's great to syndicate to them and let people consume content however they want. Even I know people hate that, <laughs> that phrase too, consuming content. But it's, it's the best phrase that publishers have come up with that accurately describes what's going on. You know, just you can bring the story to them through syndication and you just don't have to waste your time <laughs> doing these things because it's so fickle. Everybody changes sides all the time. And you know what? And this is another thing that Seth Godin brings up all the time. He says, I can never do what I do every day, daily blogging, if I spend any time on social media. I just, I, you know, I concentrate on this one thing. I do this one thing well. And if you want to read it in other places, it's available. 
but I'm not going to waste my time at those places. Mm -hmm. I get that from someone like him because people are coming to his blog to read it every day, just like, you know, I guess your readers are with you, but I wouldn't put you on the same pedestal as Seth. Right. So do you feel like you have to chase the audience that is on Facebook that may not know about you? Like, why aren't you posting to there and, you know, making Facebook ads so people find you? Well, because I'm not, you know, if I were a business selling a lot of stuff to people, I might consider that. I have a friend who runs a small business and every time he posts something to Facebook, he gets 100,000 hits off of that to his business. So it makes perfect sense to him. But to me, it's like, I don't necessarily want more readers. I want I want good readers. I don't want just people who are casually coming by all the time because it, that ends up costing me a lot of money. And, you know, there's nothing really in return for it. You know, I, I've always said I want good, loyal readers. And if people don't, you know, people just skim my newsletter or, or don't care much about it, please unsubscribe. <laughs> make room for people who care. <laughs> What's a good reader? Like, what does a good reader do for you? How does that benefit you having a good reader? Well, this is another thing where I abandoned my Alessar Photographer blog and moved everything to my personal site for this reason, because, you know, an okay reader reads the book and says, oh, you know, that was interesting and then forgets about it forever. But the good readers were like, oh, you know, that's really interesting. What else is that person doing? They can visit my site and then they keep visiting. And that's a person who's interested. That's a person I don't mind spending money on for hosting, for a newsletter, for all that kind of stuff. I, I want to keep that person engaged because I'm going to have more books down the line, you know? Okay. You know, I read your blog posts and I read your emails. I don't see affiliate links everywhere. Like I can see that it's not a business. So why do you do what you do? Because uh, I'm a writer. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's the story of every writer. We do what we do because it, we have to do it. It's a compulsion. <laughs> really, if we could do other things, we would. If we could be good salesmen, we would. <laughs> so where does photography fit in into the big picture for you? Right now, well, ever since I had my son, it's mostly been a family thing. And really, I've become like a street photographer for my family, <laughs> which is great. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. In fact, I think that's pretty much the height of photography for me because those are the most meaningful photos a person can make. You know, before that, I was a zone system, black and white landscape photographer. And I look back on those photos now and they're, you know, they're nice and beautiful and everything, but they have no real long-term value. I don't know if that makes sense, but they're not scarce anymore. Everybody's done them. And if I come back in, you know, 50 years to that same spot, it'll probably look the same. <laughs> and I'll be able to make the photo on, you know, bigger, badder equipment or somebody else will. You know, it's just, it looks like big versions of postcards to me. Yeah, it's sad, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the way you described photography earlier. I mean, everyone can do it these days. So we have to separate ourselves some other way or do what we love. Right, right. And I really took what Seth Godin meant to heart that mostly daily blogging is for your own mental health. It's, you know, it's a kind of meditation, too, because you're looking around at the world and you're thinking, you know, what can I take away from this today? And, you know, what better way to spend a day? You know? For sure. You know, I'm curious because you've written so much about photography, you know, and things like, you know, using minimal gear or stripping it right down and going to the basics. Do you ever feel like you paint yourself into a corner and you can't, you can't go and buy new gear or you can't experiment because you're worried about what other people will think? Oh, yeah, oh, definitely. I felt that way for years. And 
that recently changed. You know, and it's not really that wasn't the controversial thing I think that I was writing about because by then, I think a year or two after I started writing about that, that wasn't controversial anymore. Everybody was saying, you know, go with less gear. The thing that I was writing about that was controversial was that technique was overrated. And that really, I mean, that hurt so many people because there were, you know, so many people who blog about photography or write books about photography, that's their bread and butter. That's the way they make money. That's how they make a living is by convincing people that technique is all important. And that's what I was trying to say was that technique, you know, it's not really all that important. You look at the most important photos taken through history and they're all, you know, horribly composed out of focus, you know, technique is <laughs> technique really isn't that important. So that was a controversial thing. But I still felt like I couldn't ever experiment with other cameras <laughs> and stuff like that. But that all changed. My wife got a job earlier this year with a college and which meant free tuition for the family. So I was like, okay, well, what kind of photography classes can I take? <laughs> and it's been 20 years since I've been in a college level photography class. I was like, sign me up for everything you can. I want to go in there like a beginner and relearn everything. And that's what I'm doing now. So I'm signed up and I look at the prerequisites and the classes are like, must have a DSLR and a tripod and all these other things. I was like, oh my God, I sold all that stuff. <laughs> so that's right. I went out and, you know, I got some entry level DSLR and it was, it's, it's no big deal to me. I've used it a couple of times since I, I bought it, and I don't like it. <laughs> it. I actually, I actually hate the experience now because it's so cumbersome and unwieldy compared to just shooting from the hip. So, what are you using before you bought this DSLR? I was using for the book as the experiment went. I was just using a compact camera, mm -hmm. but then. As that compact camera got old and, and wasn't working well anymore, I just used my iPhone. And I've been using that ever since. And I don't really see a reason not to. You know, a lot of people say, well, you can't blow up, you know, your pictures really huge. Well, nobody does that anymore. <laughs> you know, the most people do is they make, a, you know, photo albums and books and things like that. And for that, the iPhone's just great. Yeah, I agree. And look, and I think you can blow them up bigger than what people think. I've seen billboards now that have stated they're being shot with an iPhone, which... Blows me away. Yeah. But like I said, not many people are printing that large anyway. How are you finding the classes? Are you sitting at the back rolling your eyes? Are you one of these <laughs> pain in the bum students? <laughs> well, luckily they haven't started yet. I think they're going to be really good fodder for the blog <laughs> because <laughs> even my first time around, even 20 years ago when I was taking my classes, I was arguing with the teachers. So, so this is going to be probably no different. I'll be very respectful and, you know, I probably will sit in the back and have a total beginner's mind about the whole thing. But I argued the first time around, so it'll probably happen again. What are you looking to gain apart from fodder for your blog, you know, by going to these courses? <laughs> well, that's the thing. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know about what's happened in the last 20 years, you know. I'm hoping that I learned things that I didn't know I needed to learn. <laughs> I'm looking more forward to your blog post now than ever. Oh, that poor teacher or teachers. <laughs> oh, I know. I'm going to apologize probably the first day. <laughs> Can you tell me and the listener about writing every day? I mean, first of all, when did you come up with the idea and how long after you thought, yeah, I'm going to do this, did you actually start doing it? It was six months ago when I really started moving everything over to my personal blog and then trying to decide what I was going to do with it. 
And I spent so much time thinking about it that just one day I said, you know, screw it. I'm just going to throw up whatever I throw up there. And I started reading these people who are doing the same. Dave Weiner, you know, he's a guy, one of the co-inventor of podcasting and RSS. And he put up a blog post around the same time saying that short blog posts are really underrated, that this is the way people think. And it's the way people read if we want to be honest about it on the web, people don't read long articles. We like to think they do, and Google likes to think that they do. But you know, a famous web designer once said that the web is really at its best when it's a billboard, when it's really quickly read, easily understood, very clear. And once I started reading that and people who agreed with that, I was like, okay, this is the way I think. This is the way I write anyway in small snippets. I'm just going to do that. And sometimes the blog posts will go on for paragraphs and paragraphs, and sometimes they'll be like two or three sentences, you know, but it's just whatever flows out at that time. And, you know, the Elastic Photographer blog was like that too. And once that got to around 400 posts, that's when I imported it all into Scrivener and started making chapters out of it and made a book out of it. So now I think, I don't know how many post <laughs> maybe a couple hundred more cents than that maybe i can make a little book out of nice you said then that you, know, you sit down to write and whatever flows out of you is what goes onto the page or onto the screen but surely there's some planning that goes behind i mean have you got a notebook do you use software to keep track of what you're going to be posting about your thoughts like how do you manage all that yeah well first of all i go by the uh i think it's jeffrey zeldman's law of uh, blogging where, uh, you know, Jeffrey Zeldman is a publisher and a, a famous web designer who said you should never spend more than an hour on a blog post. <laughs> he said, you know, you can spend years on a book, but never spend more than an hour on a blog post. And so that's another kind of inspiration from that. But yeah, anytime I get a little idea, it goes either on paper or, you know, in uh, drafts on iOS. And then everything goes into Evernote, not because I'm an Evernote super fan or anything. It's just that that's what works fastest right now. <laughs> and then it all gets tagged post ideas. And I have maybe 70 something post ideas in there. And then every day around lunchtime, I go in there and I am absolutely sickened because I don't like any of the ideas. <laughs> <laughs> so you get an idea and you said it goes down on paper. So if you look anywhere on you now, do you have somewhere to take down an idea? Is it a notebook? Is it a scrap of paper? Yes. I have a wallet from Levenger that has a note card on it ready at all times with a little pen. Okay. And then I have field notes that I take with me sometimes. If I'm going to the library, I have like three notebooks I take with me. <laughs> and then if I'm just at home working, because I write for a bank eight to 10 hours a day, so I'm constantly writing. And if an idea comes to me then, then it just goes straight into Evernote there. But eventually all this stuff gets digitized. Either I'll retype it or I'll take a picture of it or something, and it all goes into that one tag, post ideas. Okay, so all lives in Evernote at some stage is there. So you, you sit down to write. You've got these lunch hours starting. Have you already started to draft what you're going to write about then? Or are you literally then opening up Evernote, flicking through these 78 ideas, looking for one that grabs your attention? Yeah, I'm literally just uh, flicking around because usually, you know, my job is pretty hectic compared to several years ago. I think any writer who works for a bank is now doing the writing uh, that three or four people used to do. So, yeah, by the time lunch comes around, 
I'm already kind of exhausted in my head. Wow, you're good. And you're still writing a blog post. Right. So that's why I'm disgusted when I look through that list, because I'm just like, who thought this was a good idea? Can I just delete all of this? And I think, no, 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 I'll pull something out of here. I always find like a sentence that I pull out of there. I put into, uh, I use Squarespace just because I've been using them forever. (laughs) And I just, I throw it in there and I just, in the editor itself, which is the worst thing you can do, don't ever do this. This is just because this is my working space for the blog. I copy and I paste that sentence or that thought into the Squarespace editor. And then I just go to town and I just kind of riff off it. And I usually end up going somewhere completely different than the original (laughs) idea. Is that how many, I mean, are you getting out as many words as you can get out? Are you editing as you type? Are you just blurting it all out on the page? I'm blurting it all out. It's different every day. Like today, I did one where it was three sentences long. And then I just stepped back and I looked at it. And I was like, you know, that last sentence really could be the entire post. <laughs> so, so I just went on and on with the last sentence. And then I retitled the post after the last sentence, which turned out to be a paragraph. And then the other two sentences before it meant nothing when originally they were the whole point of the post. Wow. You just changed your mind and the, and the whole thought process on the fly. Yeah, because you never know what you're going to write until you start writing. It's really true. Some of my favorite bloggers say that. They just throw stuff in and just start writing and it, see where it takes them. Okay, and why do you say it's so bad to do what you're doing using the editor inside Squarespace to draft the posts? <laughs> well, not to pick on Squarespace or anything. I mean, I have WordPress sites. I've used every CMS and it's just, it's just all the same. It's just you never want to edit in the editor. You always want to do it somewhere else, but... You know, I've talked to a lot of professional bloggers who write for the kind of blogs where you have to churn them out 10 posts a day. And they all say the same thing. They're like, yeah, that's a nice thought. But once you're in the editor, it feels like, okay, now it's work time. Now it's go time. It's a completely, it's something switches in your brain. And it's like, okay, now you have to get to work. And that's where the ideas really come. To me, it sounds like a good idea. Sounds like it's good to have that pressure. (laughs) Yeah, but every once in a while, you lose everything. Okay, because it's not saved or something. Right. Right. Okay. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Studio Ninja. It is the photography studio management software for photographers. It's been built by photographers by someone that you know if you listen to the Photo Biz X podcast talking about Chris Garbatch from Epic Photography. He and his partner, his business partner, designed and put together Studio Ninja. And it's been described as the most beautiful, simple to use CRM software for photographers. Now, if you are a regular listener to the PhotoBizX podcast, you'll know that I have tried some different software, some different studio management software in the past. None of them have been successfully implemented into my business because they're just too involved, too complicated. And to be honest, I pass the installation of the CRM software over to Linda, my wife, who manages the studio. And if she doesn't fall in love with it and find it easy to use right away, then she's not going to be using it and I'm not going to be getting the benefits from it. So I am super excited to check out Studio Ninja because if it looks pretty and it's easy to use, I know that Linda will be interested in using it too. So I will let you know how that goes with her. Now I've had a look at Studio Ninja. It's got all the features that you normally need. It doesn't have all the fluff 
that goes along with the bigger software companies. And some of the main features include invoicing. So you can send invoices directly from the software. You can get paid via Studio Ninja. So you can do online invoicing, credit card payments straight into your account. And you can also have automated invoice reminders to your clients. So if you take wedding photography bookings and you need to have a progress payment after six months, then that can be set up to go out automatically, which is very cool. It integrates with different calendars. So if you use Google Calendar or iCalendar, it will sync with those. It's cloud-based, so you can access it anywhere, and it's also responsive, so it will work on your mobile phone and on your client's mobile phone, which is probably more important. So you can access your calendar, your invoicing, your to-do list, everything all from whatever device you happen to be on at the time. It also has electronic signatures, so you can have contracts signed by the software, and when you send out contracts or invoices or emails via Studio Ninja, it can be branded to look like it's coming from you. So it doesn't look like it's coming from Studio Ninja, the company. It has your colors, it has your look, it has your branding. So the client knows that it's coming from you. Now, on top of all that, there's some awesome support. The guys are on Facebook, they're on email, and they will get back to you super promptly if you have any issues. Now, there's a free 30-day trial if you go to studioninjacrm.com. But the beauty is if you sign up for the free trial, if you email Chris once you've got the trial set up and let him know that you heard about Studio Ninja via the Photography Experiment podcast, you're going to get an extra three months trial, which is just awesome. So you'll get some emails from Studio Ninja when you sign up with a free trial. Just reply to one of those to Chris. That's the same Chris that I mentioned earlier from Epic Photography, and he'll organize an extra three months for your trial, which is, yeah, that's just awesome. So go and check it out. Let me know what you think. I'll let you know what Linda says about the software. It's studioninjacrm.com. If you have time or if you're suggesting to someone that wants to try this blogging daily or even weekly, have you got an app that you recommend or that you like to use? I think you mentioned Scrivener. Well, you know, that's a very specific kind of tool for compiling books. They really helped put the Lesser Photographer book together. There's no way I could have done, I could have taken 400 blog posts, thrown them in this, t- <laughs> in any other tool and come out with a book. But Scrivener is built for that. It's built for taking huge amounts of text and just refining them down into books or screenplays and then outputting them to ebooks or a script formats. And, you know, it's a very specific tool that writers absolutely love because it makes their jobs so much easier. But it's really a professional writer's tool. Okay, so overkill for daily blog posts. Absolutely. If for that, you know, anything works. Paper, uh-huh. <laughs> paper's great. The text edit app on your Mac, that'd be fine. That works great too. In fact, I don't think that gets enough credit. Uh, I know a lot of people who just use text edit for everything. <laughs> okay, beautiful. Let's say you get this draft done. Let's take today's example. You've written this post. You've modified it after you deleted the first half of it. <laughs> do you click publish then and there or do you take it home and then reread it at night before you publish? Or do you get, have your wife look over it? Oh, no, that goes back to the Jeffrey Zellman law. It's you spend an hour on a blog post tops. That's all you should do because it's ephemeral to your reader. To think that you're, you know, you're putting out something that's going to stand the test of time is really kind of, it's just, it's not true. So you want this off your chest. You want it out of your brain. You spend an hour on it, then you get it out there, you publish it, 
And if you disagree with it later, well, that's great. That's another post. You know, you could say, I was wrong. I was wrong. And this is why I was wrong. Okay. Are you afraid to do that? Like, does that scare you if you change your mind or a week or a day or a month later? It would scare me if I was asking for money from people and if I had advertisers and things like that. Just, as, an, as an amateur, as a hobbyist at this, it doesn't scare me at all. In fact, in fact, I in some in some cases, I think I try to lose readers sometimes. <laughs> like, like the whole transition with the whole getting rid of the Lesser Photographer blog and just moving everything to my personal site. I figured I was going to lose 20-25% of my readership. And I think the first week I had maybe two or three percent of people unsubscribe. You know, I was just I was blown away that people just <laughs> they didn't care. You know, why were you so worried? Why did you think people wouldn't follow you? Because I figured that people were only interested in that one topic, and it, which really isn't true. And I had to learn that even though other authors were telling me that constantly. They were telling me, no, you need an author website because when people like a book, they look for the author. They don't look for the book. <laughs> They've already got the book. <laughs> exactly. That's true. That is true. Yeah. So that was the whole point of moving everything over to my personal site. And it's it's worked out pretty well. I think I have like 10 times, yeah, at least 10 times now, the page views that I had over on the book site. That's awesome. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> What are your thoughts on having or owning your own space? You know, not publishing to Instagram or Facebook or, you know, some other platform that someone else. I mean, I'm surprised you even use Squarespace. Yeah. You know, what happened with Squarespace is I used it back in the like version four days when they first came out and they said, you know, we're the Apple of blogging. <laughs> and, and it was, and they meant it in that we're easier. You don't have to think about all the things you think about with a CMS. Just come in here, plug in your posts and go. And by that time I had used everything from text pattern to expression engine, all these complicated platforms that allow you to do, you know, the most minute things with your site. And I was just ready. I was ready. I was like, okay, just take over everything. I just want to publish words. <laughs> but they, since then, they've grown into this huge company. And now, you know, they advertise everywhere. And it's kind of, you know, a cliche to be a Squarespace blocker now. But this is where I want to be. This is what I know, you know. I get the impression that you're of the thought, and I think I've read this, that the photographer or the writer, the the artist should own the space that they're publishing too. Oh, absolutely. And, you know, I know that the pro blogger community who uh, you know, I don't always agree with, but they call it digital sharecropping. And I think that's a really good way of looking at it because you are not in control of anything. You know, they do not care about you. You're not in control. You may think that you're taking an audience from there, but you're really not taking the audience anywhere. It's not your audience at all. Yeah, there's so many reasons not to be wrapped up in the social networks, but I think it's fine to syndicate to them. I don't see anything wrong with that. And in fact, I use Twitter as a, a makeshift RSS reader sometimes if I just want to check in on what the photography blogs are doing. I don't want to subscribe to that in RSS. I certainly don't want to subscribe to their newsletters, but I'll check it on Twitter, you know, as it's flying by. Yeah, sure. Okay. I know that in a lot of your blog posts, you're referencing other articles, other posts, other writers or photographers. How do you keep track of those things? Are you also using Evernote for that? Yeah. What I do is it depends on who it's coming from. There's some photographers I follow on Twitter 
who are just so good at finding <laughs> the greatest stuff. And right now I'm using Pocket to save those articles because Pocket gives attribution when you save through Twitter. And a lot of people don't know this or don't use it for that reason, but it's the only tool that does this and it's invaluable. You know, if you save something from Twitter to Pocket and you read that article, it'll start the article with the person you got that article from. So I always know who to give credit to and who to keep going back to. Like, you know, if I've saved like 10 articles in a week from the same person, I know that's a person I need to keep track of. Yeah, okay. So Pocket, is that a native iOS app? Yes, it's a, it's like a read it later service. It's like Instapaper or, uh, you know, a lot of apps like that. Now, <laughs> Pocket's the only one who will give attribution to the original person who gave you that article. Okay, so a lot of the things that you're finding and sort of searching to use in your own blog post or for inspiration to get you thinking are from Twitter. Yeah, yeah. And I think it's because I follow a lot of journalists and and journalists absolutely love Twitter (laughs) because it makes their jobs a lot easier. They can go right to the source of whatever their story is and just talk to that person. So I love talking to journalists on Twitter and that's where they hang out. You know, you want good stories, you hang out on Twitter. (laughs) Okay, very cool. You said earlier that daily blogging has been good for your mental health. What did you mean by that? (laughs) It's just in the meditative sense. Like, you know how if you're really busy and you have a hectic schedule, days can just fly by and you just, you know, you're in bed at night. You're like, what happened today? I have no idea. You know, daily blogging forces you to focus on what happened that day. And I think it's a really good way to live, you know. (laughs) It's like journaling, I guess, in the same way. Yeah, but I don't see the correlation between your blog posts and what's happening because you're writing at a bank. You're sitting at your desk writing for a bank all day. That daily life doesn't seem to be reflected in your blog posts. <laughs> oh, thank God. Uh, <laughs> I think everybody would die of boredom if that were the case. No, yeah, but I mean, you know, I could go out for a walk. I go out for a walk every day with either my son or my dog and we encounter people and things and places and go to the library and I see a book that, you know, was published in 1960 about photography that no one's ever talked about. And, you know, all these things pop into your head all day long. And, you know, most of the time you just let them go. But if you're blogging daily, you say, oh, wait a minute, that's really interesting. I don't hear anybody talking about that anymore. And you can put it in your blog. Okay, that's cool. Okay, let me give you that, that scenario that you just explained to me. You're walking around the block with your son and you run into an interesting person and you have a chat and something clicks. You think that's going to be an interesting post. So do you then make a note in Evernote while you're out there with your son or do you come home and do something? No, usually that's when I you know, pull out whatever paper I have on me or, or more likely drafts for iOS because I can just talk right into it. And even if something gets messed up and it doesn't send it to the right applicant, doesn't send it to Evernote or doesn't send it to Twitter or wherever I want it to send it keeps a copy archived so I can then go home later and do something with it. Okay, very cool. Not too long ago, I did an interview with Spencer Lum. He's a photographer in New York and he put to my audience the idea of a daily blog challenge, which was a a three-week challenge to post every single day. He said it didn't have to be on your blog. It could be on Instagram or Facebook or wherever you want to write, but just write every day. A lot of people found it tough. Have you got any tips for people to get that done? Or do you think it's a good idea to do it if you're a photographer? 
Oh, no, it's especially if you're a photographer, I think, because it's harder for a photographer to write because we think in images a lot. And so that's exactly why you need to do it. <laughs> and there's really no secret to it. It's as the journalist Andy Anako says, the secret to writing is moving the cursor to the right. <laughs> and that's all there is to it. It's just you have to sit down and you have to actually think hard about something and make that cursor move. <laughs> you know, there's no secret to it at all. It's just really hard and frustrating work. And the only time a writer is happy is after hitting publish. Then it goes away. <laughs> All right. I love it. Okay. As a photographer, if your son was a photographer, you would tell him that he has to learn how to write. Oh, yeah. And he is a photographer. I think everybody's a photographer now. And, you know, and I know a lot of people argue with that and say, oh, just because you got a phone doesn't mean you're a photographer. Well, it does. <laughs> you know, everybody, if you have a camera, you're a photographer. Now, it doesn't mean that you're a good photographer because that means something different to everyone. But, you know, everyone has a camera now. <laughs> okay. So let's say your son, he is a photographer. He doesn't enjoy writing when he gets older. Do you tell him that he has to? He has to learn? Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> you know, he's already smarter than me at four years old. So, <laughs> so if he told me that, oh, you know, you're wrong, Dad, I would have to seriously consider it that I was wrong. But really, I see nothing. Really, there's no bad side to it. I mean, the worst thing that can happen is you get frustrated. I mean, you know, most people walk through life frustrated anyway, so... <laughs> why not at least, you know, try to make it productive? All right. Maybe I'm asking it the wrong way up. My concern is that a lot of photographers are writing because it's good for Google. It's good for SEO. Is that a good reason to be writing? No, I, but, you know, that won't be the case forever. You know, video is becoming so much more important. So is photography and Google's finding out ways to index that stuff too. And it'll get better and better. And, I don't know, you know, in my lifetime, how on par it will be with text, but it eventually will be. I don't think that's a good reason to do anything, though. I just think you need to, you need to present in the medium that best fits you. But I don't think just because writing doesn't fit you best doesn't mean you shouldn't try, you know? That makes sense. CJ, this has been fun again. But where is the best place for the listener to go and check out what you're doing daily? Well, now it's cjchilvers.com. And everything's there. Because I get an email as well with what you've put out each week. So I can subscribe if I go to CJ Chilvers as well? Yep. There's a link right at the top that says subscribe. And that's where I want to do most of my connecting with everyone is, is through the newsletter because I know everybody has really busy lives and you might want to keep up with stuff, but you always forget. And, you know, thank you, Google, for taking away Reader. <laughs> So RSS is just not an option for a lot of people now. Even though it is an option, people just don't think about it anymore. So the newsletter is really the way to go. And I'm changing it every week according to the feedback I'm getting. I'm really trying to tailor it to, you know, what people want. That's the best way to do it. Okay. And do you like when people comment or reply to those emails? Or is it really, is it a one-way conversation? No. In fact, that's how I measure how successful a newsletter was, is how many replies I get. And the last one got the most replies because I just, I keep evolving it until, <laughs> and so I get more and more. That is great. All right, CJ, I'm going to add links to that in the show notes for this episode. And I look forward to following along with your thoughts and your writing and hopefully we can connect again in the future, mate. Thank you very much. Oh no, thank you. This was great. Thank you. Just before I close out today's show, if you're looking for links 
to anything or everything that CJ mentioned in today's episode, head over to photobizx.com forward slash TPX12. You'll find everything there, including the comments area. I'd love to hear your feedback on today's show. Was there anything that CJ shared that will change the way you're doing things in your business? You know, are you going to write less for Google? Are you going to start daily blogging? Have you come to the realization that writing is just hard work, no matter who you are, whether you're experienced at writing or not? And there really are some some big benefits to, to blogging daily. I'm going to give it a try myself. I'm going to try and push myself to do more writing. I'd love to hear how you go. Use the comments area. Let me know your thoughts, photobizx.com forward slash tpx12. And make sure you sign up for CJ's weekly newsletter. It really is the one email I look forward to getting in regard to photography every single week. I really can't say enough good things about it. He gets me thinking about photography and business in ways that I, I don't normally think about it. So it's very, very cool. Lastly, I just want to say thank you to Studio Ninja, the photography studio management software for photographers, for sponsoring today's show. You can find out more about Studio Ninja over at studioninjacrm.com. And I look forward to chatting to you in an upcoming episode. All right, have an awesome week and I'll chat to you soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the Photo Experiment Podcast with Andrew Helmich, brought to you by PhotoBizX, the podcast to help you build a successful portrait and wedding photography business. To learn more, head to photobizx.com.